0: I want to ask you a couple of questions this morning in light of what we just celebrated. I want to ask you, what do you think our communion should look like? And I'm not talking about the format of the service. I mean, are we practically living out what we just celebrated? What do you think about this? If we are in communion with Christ through his sacrifice... I believe his new life and his powerful life should show up in our lives as a church. Think about something we're going to look at here in a few moments in Colossians 3. Church, if, if we are, according to Paul in Colossians, if we are chosen by God to be the holy objects of Christ-redeeming love, we as a church should give thanks to God by magnifying Christ's character in the church. We should do so because he chose us, he cleansed us, and he called us together in a local church to bring him glory here on earth. It's by his grace that we are together in a church, a local church. We're gathered here by his grace, by his choice to glorify Christ in our fellowship, in our fellowship with one another, in our communion with one another. Now go with me to Colossians so we can flesh this out a little bit. Turn with me to Colossians 3.1. I'm going to begin reading at 1, read down to verse 16. We're going to focus primarily on verses 12 to 14. In Colossians 3.1, the Apostle Paul begins by writing this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Now, as I covered part of this chapter last week, we learned that God wants to transform us personally. We saw that in the first few verses, but also he wants to transform us relationally. We saw that in the the latter passages that I covered last week up to verse 11. But this week, I want you to understand God wants to sanctify us corporately. There's a progression here. He deals with the inward man. He deals with our relationships, and then he deals with us as a church when you come to this passage. The Apostle Paul is, is declaring to us here in this passage, especially in verses fifteen and sixteen, that if if Christ, if the peace, rather, if the peace of Christ rules our hearts, it means to umpire your heart, okay, if the peace of Christ umpires your heart, and his word dwells in your minds, we as a church family will be transformed corporately. Look with me again at, at verses 12 and 14, or just stay focused on 12 and 14, that's what we're going to look at primarily this morning. Here in these few passages, we can see that God's grace is what's motivating this transformation, this this command to live together in a way that magnifies Jesus. This will be your basic outline. God's grace calls us to put on Christ's life corporately. God's grace. All that was mentioned in this book up to this point talks about how God has graced us. And Paul will emphasize that in verse 12. But it's God's grace that calls us to put on Christ-like characteristics in the church, in our relationships. I'm going to give you six points today. That sounds scary, doesn't it? Actually, I think it will go rather fast. But there are six things I want you to understand. Here in this text, we are commanded to put on number one christ's compassion personally we're commanded to put on christ's compassion personally and secondly we're commanded to put on christ's kindness practically christ's kindness put it on practically we're also commanded thirdly to put on christ's humility and do so thoughtfully as you'll see we're commanded fourthly to put on christ's meekness his gentleness intentionally. Fifthly, we're commanded to put on Christ's patience and do so persistently. And last, we're commanded to put on Christ's love and do so joyfully, joyfully because of God's grace, because he chose us, because we're beloved, because we're holy in Christ. Paul's calling for us to think about all of these things that I just mentioned, these six points in light of what Colossians three twelve part A says, when he says, Put on then, clothe yourself then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on Christ like qualities, as those who have been chosen by God, set apart by God, and loved by God. He's reminding us of our new position and our new condition before God through Christ. He calls us there in verse 12 to look at ourselves in light of how God sees us in Christ. We are chosen. It's a phenomenal word. It means elect or elected. Elected by God. Chosen by God. Picked out personally by God to receive his favor through Jesus' atonement. It's a definite atonement. Christ died for the elect. He died for those God chose to show love to, to set his love upon. He picked us out personally. So he's going to say, here's your motivation for living differently in the church. Living like Christ, putting on Christ-like qualities in the church. Here's why you should do it. You've been chosen by God to be Christ's ambassadors, to be Christ's body. He goes on to say that you are holy. He reminds us that we are holy. That's a new position for all of us, isn't it? Yeah, I wasn't holy. In and of myself, I'm still not holy. I have an imputed holiness, an imputed righteousness. But now in in Christ, he's saying you're holy. You're, You're set apart. You're sacred. You're sacred positionally before God because of Christ. Therefore, his characteristics should show up in your life. He's granted you forgiveness and righteousness in Christ, so therefore it should be manifest in what you put on in your characteristics, in your attitudes, in your relationships in the church. He says, We're also beloved in Christ. Put on all these things, all these Christ like qualities, because you're beloved. Because we are now the special objects of God's love. We are much loved, is what it means. We are prized because of Christ's life. Therefore, we should put on Christ. We should make Christ manifest in our hearts, in our relationships, and in our corporate worship and fellowship. Paul's starting off by reminding us who we are in Christ as the motive to direct us to God's commands to be sanctified, set apart so that Christ is manifest in the church, in our communion, in our fellowship. Part B there of verse 12, as he says, put on these things, be clothed like Christ, who is your life now. He goes on to command us to put on those qualities of Christ. That's what all these qualities are. They're all qualities of Christ, his life being manifest through the church. He's calling us to put on Christ-like qualities because (laughs) Paul knows that we don't always dress like Christ. We don't always put on all these attributes of Christ, do we? Sometimes we still dress in the flesh. Sometimes we dress in the flesh, especially when we relate to those who are closest to us. Our wives, our husbands, our church family. And he knows that sometimes we need to be reminded to shed those garments and put on the garment that God has given us through Christ. We need to put these on. Continue putting these on is the idea here. It's not a one-time thing. You just throw on the garment of Christ and you go out and now you're going to live a, a good and righteous life all the time. No, this is intentional again. Keep putting these garments on because you need these practically, especially in the church. When you gather together and live together in close unity, close proximity. He knows, God knows that sometimes in the church there's disunity, isn't there? Sometimes there's impatience in the body of Christ. You know, why isn't that guy up to speed spiritually? Why is he lagging behind? He's dragging us back. I can't get over this issue with him because he keeps bringing it up. Well, you know what? That man needs Christ-like love exhibited to him, patience, gentleness, meekness. God knows there's Impatience in the church. He knows there's a a lack of communion at times in our church family. He knows we need to be reminded of how closely knit we are together in Christ. God knows that we need to be reminded about how we should relate to the church personally. Not just here when we gather on Sunday mornings. But I would say practically when we live our lives out in the world. We still need each other. We need to put these kind of qualities on so that we can actually serve one another. When we leave this, I would say, sanctified area, sanitized area, and when we go out and live in this world where it's difficult, we need others coming alongside us, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week to encourage us. And Paul's, Paul's giving this reminder in a context, a biblical context of what's going on at Colossae. He's giving the reminder because there's a real enemy who seeks disunity in the body of Christ. And that was true then. That's true now. At Colossae, the false teachers were trying to divide the church and win converts to their way of thinking. And here in 12 to 14, we're being reminded that if we will stand together in Christ and put on Christ, remember what Christ did theologically, but also remember how to exhibit it practically and corporately, then the enemy will have no room to bring in disunity. In Colossians, in this whole book, it's just a great reminder of the, the glory of Christ, the supremacy of Christ as he rules in our lives and also in the church. But here we're reminded that God God has graciously called us out of darkness into Christ's kingdom. He did that individually, right? He did that individually to display the power of Christ, transforming sinners and making us trophies of grace. But he, he also did that corporately. He, he, he did this individually to display the work of Jesus in our lives. But also in our church. As we grow together in Christ. See that's, that's what I want you to think about when we come to the communion table. It's the communion of the saints in Christ. But there needs to be koinonia. There needs to be fellowship. The fellowship will not be Cultivated unless we're putting on these characteristics daily, practically, corporately. God illustrates how we can do that here in Colossians 3 by calling for us to shed our old garments of selfishness and put on these new garments of Christ-likeness that we see here listed in verses 12 to 14. Here we're basically being commanded to put on spiritual clothing that magnifies Jesus in our church, family, in our corporate worship, in our interaction with one another personally. Let's begin by going through these one by one. There in Colossians three twelve b he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Here's what you put on, compassionate hearts. Here in this verse, God commands us to personally. This is a personal aspect of our lives here. Compassion is something you do inwardly, right? It comes out of you. It's personal. God commands us to personally put on Christ-like compassion in the church. Put on inward pity. That's what this means, compassion. Put on inward pity that moves you into action. The kind of compassion that Christ exhibited moved from his heart to his feet, to his hands, to his mouth. It moved him into action. When Christ's compassion covers our hearts, it's the garment that covers our hearts. It will warm our hearts toward others, and it will move our feet toward others, those who are hurting, those who are in need. That's the way Christ's heart worked. Christ's heart was personally clothed with compassion and with action, according to Luke seven. Look with me there, Luke seven eleven as we think about these things, I want you to start questioning in your mind, am I putting on Christ-like characteristics? Am I putting on the garment of Christ here in our church, in our church family, in our church gathering together here today, tomorrow, even as we separate and go to our homes and our workplaces? Am I still seeking to put on a compassionate heart toward my brothers and sisters in this church? And does it move me to act on their behalf? like Jesus did here in seven eleven to 15. It says, soon afterward, speaking of Jesus, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. And then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Now, this is a deep and glorious picture of the compassion of Christ. Understand this widow who had only one son, without that son would be destitute, destined to poverty and possibly death because he was supporting her. He was caring for her. Jesus knew all that. And what you need to see is when Jesus saw this crowd coming, this funeral procession coming, He didn't wait till that woman came over and saw the master and said, oh, Jesus, you're here now. Please raise up my son. He's the only son I have. No, Jesus is moved into action without even being asked. He sees the need and he moves intentionally in the direction of those who are hurting and he does something amazing. He expresses what's in his heart through his power. And through his mercy. Should, should not we see the, the needs around us and our hearts be broken in our church, in our local church when someone's hurting? But then shouldn't we also seek to serve them immediately when we see that need arise? We don't need to wait for someone to come to us. If you see the need, you need to show the compassion of Christ. Being moved into action, you need to go to them. Be willing to go and help. Be willing to move and act. Be broken hearted over those around you in our church family and do something. Exhibit his love, his compassion personally. Put on Christ like compassion for the glory of Jesus, because when you do that, that's what people see. It's the compassion of Christ coming through us. So let me ask you a question about that. And I want you to ask yourself this. Are you aware of those in our church that are hurting right now? Are you aware of the needs of your brothers and sisters in this congregation right now? Do you know anything about their personal struggles, their temptations, their financial problems? And if you know anything about those things, are you doing something about it? Are you going to them? Are you seeking to offer yourself to them, whether you can help or not? Being willing to show them this kind of compassion will magnify Jesus and cultivate communion in the church. The garment of compassion will magnify the work of Christ and our church family. We need to think about how to do that corporately, personally. Now secondly, in Colossians 3.12, I would say part C, the next word, okay? Here God commands us to Do something practical. He says, practically, is what he's meaning here, practically put on Christ-like kindness. When do you do that? Well, when you see that need I just mentioned earlier. When you see the needs in the body, you move from compassion to kindness. And that means action again. This is a layer of spiritual clothing that covers not just our hearts, but it covers our feet and it covers our arms. It moves us to act. It prepares us to deal with an issue practically. According to what it says in James 2.14, this is the kind of heart that we need to have. This is the kind of Christ-like characteristic that needs to show up in the church. 2.14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is that, he says? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's useless. If your heart goes out to somebody in the church and you're not moved into action, that compassion's worthless. If you don't move yourself, and it requires you being intentional and practical here to put yourself in a position to serve one another practically in the church. Help someone paint a house. Help someone care for their kids. Help someone deal with personal struggles. That takes practical and intentional action on our part. And if you don't have the love of Christ and his kindness cultivated in your heart daily, you won't be prepared to do this practically. We, we can't magnify Jesus' kindness without action. We must be moved to action. So let me ask you this. Is, is your life, I ask myself all these questions too, by the way. Is your life covered with Christ's kindness? Is that what people see? in your life, do they see you acting upon the needs around you with kindness, with compassion, and practically going and putting yourself in a position to help someone personally? Are you you serving one another in this church family practically? I guess that's the easier way to say it. Ask yourself that. And if you're not, start praying, start seeking, start talking, start fellowshipping. Seek out those around you. Ask them the question. Do you have any needs? Is anything going on in your life right now that I can pray with you about? That I can help you with? See, a lack of communication in the the body of Christ negates communion. Taking the cup and the bread alone without examining your fellowship in the church is not taking the cup and the bread faithfully. We need to be looking at Are we really doing this? Are we communing? Are we communicating? And if we are, are we acting in kindness? This this garment of kindness is important, again, because ultimately it magnifies Jesus in the church. It, It magnifies Jesus visibly, not just in our hearts, not just this compassion down deep, but it comes out visibly through our works. And we want to see that happen. We want Jesus to be praised in all aspects of our life and our church. So we need to put these garments on. Thirdly, we need to put on what it says there in 312D. There it tells us that God commands us to thoughtfully put on Christ-like humility. When do you do that? You do that when you're called on to serve the weak around you. Do you find yourself, when you see the weak in the church, criticizing them or remembering your own faults and failures when you see their weakness? Are you more concerned about feeling like, you know, they're, they're, they're never going to get caught up with me? They're behind spiritually and I can't, I can't wait around on them? Or do you have humility in your heart saying, you know what? By the grace of God, I'm being changed myself. Therefore, I want to serve those who are weak in our church family as God has served me so faithfully and so carefully. And to cultivate Christ like humility, you have to do it thoughtfully. You're not a humble person because you say you're a humble person. Actually, you negated the fact. You're a humble person when you know who you are before a holy and righteous God and you think about what he's done to save you and what he's doing to sanctify you. That's that's something that's going to take thoughtful, thoughtful action. You're going to have to think about this. This, this layer of humility, this spiritual layer of humility covers not just your heart, not just your actions, your feet, but it also covers your mind. It covers your mind when you see weakness in other people. It protects you from arrogance. It protects you from critical attitudes and words. When someone in the church is lagging behind or seems to be immature spiritually, covers that part of your mind that needs to be guarded and reminded of who you are before holy and righteous God by his grace and how he's loving you and changing you personally. Humility causes us to humbly admit our personal need for God's compassion and direction. And that should lead us to do the same for others in the church. When we have humility of mind, we'll deal with others more carefully, more thoughtfully. Humility acknowledges that we personally, individually, also need God's grace when we go to serve others that are weak in the faith. There are weak saints, church. I am weak. You are weak. We have different areas in which we are weaker than others in. And we need one another at those times. We don't need criticism we need someone coming to us in humility and in grace and saying, you know what, brother, this was a struggle in my life. But by God's grace, here's what he's done to show me how to be set free from this, to be directed by his word to change we see the problems. Listen, this is very important. When you see problems in the church, when you see problematic people in the church, when you see problematic attitudes or even organizational problems in the church, if you want to see it change, you need to have a humble attitude when you go to be a part of that change, when you go to that person. Because that will bring about a great change in their lives and in yours. And it will magnify the work of Christ in the church. Because frankly, there are lots of problems in our church and every church. And, and it's not going to be solved by criticizing the problems. It's going to be solved by in humility going to one another in love to the weaker and saying, how can I help you overcome this problem? I want to labor with you. I want to bear your burden. That's humility. Because you know God has bore your burden and continues to do so. And you've been served by others in the church. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 12 to see what this should look like and how we should put on humility and why we should put on humility. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Now, here's what you need to keep in mind. When you see problems in the church and you see problematic people in the church, when you see issues that that drive you crazy in the church... God puts you in that body intentionally, not to criticize it, but to come and be part of the solution to it. He arranged the members. Listen, that means every single individual in this church that are born again in particular, you're put here by God's sovereignty. He chose you in salvation and he placed you here locally for his glory. No one's here by accident. You're not even here by your own choice. Ultimately, God puts you here. And he puts you here to be close to other sinners who are forgiven by God's grace to help sanctify one another for the glory of Christ. Verse 19, he says, if all were a single member, where where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no divisions in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Let me just give you some radical news here. When you sin privately and do not repent of those sins, you have brought problems to this church body. We all suffer with you. But on the other side of that, when you confess those sins to God, when you are dealing with those sins and you come to others in the church and you confess that you need help with these issues, we are here with you. We are not going to forsake you. We're going to labor together with you in humility because we always need this kind of grace from God ourselves. So, so how do you think about this? How do you think about your position in the church? Do you think about it humbly? Do you think about it as as an opportunity to serve those who are weaker than you, maybe spiritually at this point? How do you think about the weak members of our church family? Let me ask you this. Do Do you think about them critically? When you find yourself talking about, say, the pastors of the church on Sunday afternoon, are you speaking critically about us or our families? Or are you humbly thinking about what God's done to change you personally? throughout your life, and maybe thinking, how can I serve them? We need to be thinking about this. Because, saints, we're all weak, and we need one another practically. We should humble ourselves, and we should recall how God has restored us often when we see weakness in the church body. I think the garment of Christ's humility will cause us to consider others and their needs above our own. Whenever Paul writes about that in Philippians 2, he says, Have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, right? Who considered the needs of others as more important than his own when he went to the cross and died in our place. Well, if you're going to have the mind of Christ, you need to be thinking like Christ. He humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross to save us. Are you humbling yourself? Are you thinking accurately about where you stand before God by his grace and how you're in this church to serve his saints? It's a divine privilege that we have as Christians. and We're commanded to put these things on. Understand, in in Colossians 3, 12, this is a divine command. It is no different than thou shalt not murder. It is a command. That we put these on now, it's also an empowered command by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's empowering us because of the new life that we have in Christ that's been granted to us through the resurrection. But here, fourthly, in Colossians 3:12, he goes on to give us another command. as those who are chosen and holy and beloved, He commands us to intentionally put on Christ-like gentleness. Now when do you put on gentleness? When things are going great, no. When do you have to put on gentleness when things are going bad? You put on gentleness when disagreements surface. When, when someone comes to you with a, 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 an argument, someone comes to you with an attitude that's less than godly, it's best to deal with that gently. That's when you have to put this garment on, is when disagreements surface in the church family intentionally you have to put this on. You have to be prepared, in other words, by having a humble mind to know that when these things arise, I need to address this with gentleness. This is the layer that follows humility. It follows humility because when our mind is covered with humility and we remember what God's done for us personally, we'll respond to others carefully and intentionally and gently. That's what happens there in 2 Timothy. Look with me there. In 2 Timothy 2, that's what we're, we're told that the elders should do when it comes to dealing with people who are controversial, people who bring problems into the church, not unbelievers necessarily, but people who come in and cause some stir and division probably arises because of it. He tells Timothy how you need to deal with this. And you need to deal with it with gentleness. And here in, in this passage in 2 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy two 24, we're given a command to, to elders here to deal with those who are problematic in the church. He says, in the Lord's servant, and the word there should be slave, the, word, the Lord's slave must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with what? With gentleness. Why? God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Wow. Wow. You want to be effective in your ministry? You want to be effective in this church body? Deal with one another gently, biblically, intentionally set in your mind that I'm going to deal with opposition and disagreements biblically. I'm not going to defend myself. I'm not going to allow my personal feelings to override the biblical truths that are in Christ. Understand this. Gentleness in this text Gentleness is the ability to control your personal feelings in order to serve others. And here we'd say corporately. Gentleness is the ability to control your personal feelings in order to magnify Jesus. That's what I would add to that. So so ask yourself this. How do you deal with disagreements within our church family? How do you deal with disagreements between church members? How do you deal with those? Are you gentle? Are you gently, patiently leading the conversation, this disagreement, this argument? Are you, are you leading that conversation toward a gospel resolution or self-vindication? Think about it. When you're accused, when someone is angry with you, are you going to automatically default to defending yourself? Or are you thinking about, how can I magnify the gospel through this disagreement? How can, I, how can I conform my mind, my heart, my actions to Christ and serve this brother or this sister who is struggling right now? How can I magnify Jesus is ultimately the question we need to think about. Jesus can be magnified in our disagreements. He can be magnified in our disagreements if they are intentionally clothed with gentleness that leads to the gospel as a resolution. Think about disagreements you've had with others in the church and how after God's grace has worked and brought you back together, it's the gospel that united you. It's the gospel that reconciled you together. And it's in that that Jesus's gentleness and his gentle spirit is magnified in our fellowship. Think about how to intentionally clothe your mind, your heart, your actions with gentleness that leads to the gospel as the resolution for the conflict. This takes study, this takes labor, it takes intentional action. But we're commanded to do it. Look at how Jesus dealt with conflicts. Look at how Paul dealt with conflicts in the church. John Mark, he goes... To Paul and says, Paul, I want to go on this missionary journey with you. And then Paul says, sure, let's do it, brother. And he lines up and he's ready to go. And John Mark doesn't show up. Mark bails. Paul says, I'm done with Mark. Let's go. Forget him. Leave him behind. But later on, someone came along. Barnabas came along beside Mark. And he discipled him with gentleness. He directed him to Christ. And at the end of the Apostle Paul's life. As he's dying in the Mamertine prison, by himself, in the dark, shivering, cold, knowing he's about to lose his life, he says, bring John, Mark, he is useful to me. There was a gospel resolution that was brought to Mark through the gentleness of Barnabas. And God used it to unite Paul and Mark again at the end of his ministry. God commands us to intentionally put on this kind of gentleness in our church family. Fifthly, in Colossians 12, go back, or 3.12, go back there with me. 3.12, latter part of 12, into verse 13. He says here that God's commanding us to persistently, persistently put on Christ-like patience. Look what it says. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, the last word there in that verse, put on patience. It's connected to verse 13. Patience looks like this. It's bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So so the command to do all these things is connected to what Christ has already done for you in forgiving you of your sins. He's saying... The motive for this kind of patience is remembering how patient the Lord is with you, in forgiving you, in laboring with you, in relating to you. So when he tells us to put on Christ like patience, he's doing so in the context of how we relate to other forgiven sinners. How do you relate to other forgiven sinners in this body? Are you patient with them when they are struggling, when they are irritating? When they are annoying. Maybe that's in your own family. But even in the church family, right? We rub each other wrong all the time. Someone didn't shake my hand. He must not like me anymore. You know, this this goes on all the time in churches. They go home. They stew about it. They worry about it. They don't deal with it because they think that person hates me now. And there's there's irritation. A lot of times it's just forgetfulness. A lot of times it's just... uh, I got busy and and had to go out the back way. But we need to be patient toward those in this local church family and and show them the kind of patience God shows us as we relate to them as forgiven sinners. We need this layer, the spiritual garment, to, to cover every inch of our spiritual life because it's so easy for us. It's so easy for us to grow impatient It's so easy for us to be tempted to seek self-satisfaction when someone hurts our feelings. Well, Nate didn't even like the way I said that. Nate didn't even listen to me. He walked away. I'm not going to talk to Nate anymore. I'm just tired of that. I'm just not going to deal with it. That's self-satisfaction. It doesn't cultivate Christ-exalting glory in the church and our relationships. The Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is patient. Agape is patient. Godlike love is patient. The love that God gives to those who don't deserve it is patient. That's the kind of love we're supposed to give to others in the church. It's patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy or boast, it is not arrogant. Patience bears injustices and the bad treatment of others without seeking personal revenge. You're patient with those who wrong you. You're patient when you relate to those in the church that are forgiven sinners, but sinners nonetheless. Listen, patience, patience seeks personal reconciliation in the church, not self-vindication in the church. Jesus displayed that kind of patience. We saw that there in verse 13. He shows us this perfect patience when he forgives us of all of our offenses. Now, he did that at the cross, right? He did that for all the things you've done in the past. But, saints, he's doing that right now for what you're doing immediately. He is continually showing us patience in his forgiveness. Look what he did there in verse 13. He forgave us, he says. We are to bear with one another because of this. If we have complaints with one another, here's what we do. We forgive one another because that's what God has done for us. He has forgiven us. And how did Jesus forgive us? How, what did his forgiveness look like? Well, it was sacrificial, wasn't it? How should we forgive others? Sometimes it's sacrificially. Sometimes we forgive them by not mentioning what they've done because we let love cover a multitude of sins because he didn't shake my hand. We let love cover that. It probably wasn't intentional. It was probably just accidental. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm going to be sacrificial. I'm going to let my self-pride die. And I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to be patient with them. But, but Christ's forgiveness wasn't just sacrificial. Jesus' forgiveness was total. Total. That's how we should forgive others in the body of Christ. Sacrificially and Totally. So the question is, do you do that? Are you doing that? Are you willing to do that? Do you patiently seek forgiveness? And do you grant forgiveness completely without harboring bitterness in your heart? Do you completely forgive those who come to you? Or do you hold in your heart, I'm just going to wait until they mess up again, then I'm going to push them away. Those who come to you and Ask for forgiveness? Do you you embrace them with patience? Do you say, you know, brother, it did hurt me. What you did, sister, was wrong. And I don't want to see you go down that path again. So I'm going to patiently deal with you because I'm afraid you're prone to this. But I'm not going to reject you. I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to recall how patient God is with me. Therefore, I'm going to be patient with you practically as we walk this path together in this church. That's how we are to exhibit Christ-like patience, corporately. And for this to happen, for for us to put on those five spiritual garments that Paul mentions there in 3.12 and 13, we have to put on the most important layer of spiritual clothing in verse 14. Look with me there. He says, And above all, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Notice he he makes a point here in this last last verse we're looking at to say, above all these, above all these other garments, above all these other spiritual garments of clothing that point to Christ-like qualities, above all them, put this on. Put on love. He's saying simply this. God has commanded us, in light of all he has said about who we are as the chosen and holy and beloved people of God, he's telling us, Put on joyfully Christ-like love in your church family. Do that when sin disrupts unity, when disagreements arise personally. Put on Christ-like love. Do it joyfully in light of who you are together as a church family, chosen and holy and beloved by God, forgiven. Put on this garment of love that magnifies Jesus as he works in your life personally. Put it on practically here in the church family. Understand when he says this, he, he says this in the kind of language that, that they would understand very clearly. We still struggle with this a little bit. We see that he says this will bind them together. This will bind the church together. The, the garment of love, according to Paul here, is the garment that that cinches together all the other spiritual clothing. It, this is the spiritual girdle that we are to wear, that you cinch up tight, that holds everything else together. Okay? We understand what that means. It pulls it all together. Put on agape. Put on biblical love. And biblical love toward others, understand this. Biblical love toward others is not because they're lovely. We give biblical love to others because of what Christ did for us personally. We don't give biblical love to others because of how we feel about them emotionally or personally at the moment. This is, this is a, I know this is a tricky thing. You don't feel love towards somebody, so how can I show them love? Because Christ loved you when you were unlovely. You live in his love. You enjoy his love. You rejoice in his love, and there's still nothing lovely about you, right? So how am I supposed to reflect that? I am supposed to see the need of others as more important than my own emotional feelings. And I am to give myself to them because Christ gave himself to me. That doesn't require emotional attachment. That requires obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and a desire to magnify and make much of him on earth. Biblical forgiveness is not based on emotional feelings. It's based on a God-like choice. John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, was the world lovely? Were we lovely apart from Christ? Absolutely not. But God made a decision based on our need, our condition. God said, they need me. They don't want me. They won't choose me, but I'm going to choose some. And I'm going to set my love on them. And I'm going to give my son to pay their penalty so they will be mine forever. That's sacrificial agape. And we're called on to Reflect that in our church family. And listen, saints, if you've got problems outside the church and you've got problematic relationships outside the church, if you're not loving each other in the church, you'll never deal with those problems outside the church. If we don't put these things into practice here, we'll never put it into practice in our personal lives. If we don't have the confidence when we gather together with forgiven sinners to know that, that we're all going to fail, and here no one's going to tromp on us, they're going to pick us up, They're going to love us. They're going to labor with us. They're going to carry the burden of sin for us when we can't do it on our own. If you know that, and you'll be able to deal with those who hurt you outside of here for the glory of Christ. But if you can't do it here, don't expect to do it in your work relationships or your family relationships. Here you know you can have confidence that God's at work in the saints seeking his glory and our good. Agape, love. It moves us to act on behalf of others, whether we feel like it or not. But here's the good news. When you put on Christ-like love, whether you feel like it or not, feelings follow. Joy follows. I feel the pleasure of God when I magnify Jesus in obedience. When I love my enemies, when I do good to those who persecute me, I don't necessarily like them. I don't necessarily think that what I'm doing is going to make them like me. But I feel the pleasure of God in that obedient act because it magnifies what Christ has done for me personally. And feelings follow. You feel the love of God. You may not feel the love of the person, but you feel the love of God when you obey him from the heart. Paul's making a point here in 14b. He's, he's saying love binds this all together. Love binds all the other spiritual clothes together. Put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The word bind there is an interesting word in the Greek. It basically means the thing that, that ties the body together. It's the ligaments. Love is the ligament that ties the body of Christ together. How would your body function without ligaments? You wouldn't move you would be pretty much useless. When the ligaments are tied together in love, the body is able to flex and move and magnify the one who saved us. That's what he's saying here. Agape love is the ligament that binds us together. It's the bond that causes us to seek the good of others and the glory of Christ in the church. Now let me just give you some application here as I end this morning. Some things to think about as we as we prepare our hearts to come back here and gather around a table and, and enjoy a meal together. I, I want us to do so with these things on our mind. How are we doing these things? Are we putting these things on? Are we are we living in this kind of community together practically? Because I think if we don't, I think if we don't put this into practical application. We can't say that we're in perfect harmony. We can't say that we're in communion. We can't say that we're in communion or in perfect harmony until we put on these qualities, until we put them into action. Listen, as a church family, I think that that we excel in many ways in these areas. And I thank the Lord for that. I thank the Lord that that many of you are are able to be here Sunday after Sunday and Wednesday after Wednesday and able to give freely from your heart. And you come and you hear hour-long sermons, you exhibit much patience and, and, and we see that, and we, we acknowledge that, and I praise God for that. Nate praises God for that. But listen, saints, we can excel still more personally in our communion with one another. I know that it's, it's easy, and sometimes it's a temptation just to put these qualities on when you walk in that door, and you take them off when you walk back out the door. But, but these qualities aren't something you put on for two hours on Sunday morning and you put off on Monday. They need to be worn they need to be used personally. We, we don't want a kind of Christianity that, that is so superficial that anyone can do it, even if they're not believers. We see that happening in churches all over the world. People gather on Sunday mornings for two hours, and they walk out, and they never interact. They never fellowship. They never grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ together. That's non-sacrificial fellowship. That's non-personal fellowship. And that's also ineffective fellowship. We don't want that. But it's easy to fall into that. We must confess it. It's easy to fall into this kind of rut, but by God's grace, we don't have to. You don't have to if you just stop for a moment and look at the people around you. Think about the people that are here this morning. Think about how much they love you. And then think about how much they need you. Think about the fact that God says in Corinthians there that you're all placed here according to his will to give him glory. God, God placed you here and he placed you here with a spiritual gift to be used in this local church so that you could help one another personally. You're the people of God. You're the chosen of God. You're the holy people set apart for God. You're the beloved people of God. And you're also the people who will weep with one another, people who intercede for one another and bear one another's burdens pastorally this morning, I want us to ponder this. I want us to ponder the weightiness of this holy assembly. Think about why we gather here weekly. Think about why we should be more involved in one another's lives practically, intimately. I think if you do that, you'll desire fellowship. You'll desire an opportunity to use your spiritual gift to help others in this church family. You'll desire to give your time to the church. You'll desire to commune with the church. I think you'll desire that because you're putting on Christ-like qualities. And the love of, of Christ will constrain you, will control you. Paul says, let the love of Christ rule, or the peace of Christ rather, the peace of Christ, let it rule your hearts let it be the umpire that directs you to do what you do practically and joyfully and for his glory i want us to excel at this nate wants you to excel at this nate and i want to excel at this let's put it that way we want to excel at putting on christ-like qualities here in our church primarily for god's glory but also for the good of his people that are here with us on a practical note let me just say this it's a reminder to myself as well as to you. You can't put on Christ like qualities corporately if all you do is post Facebook statements. It's not enough. Corporate fellowship is, uh, is personal, emails are insufficient. Downloading sermons instead of coming here on Sundays is insufficient. There is something supernatural and miraculous that happens when God's word is spoken to God's people from Scripture here, spoken to you in this corporate gathering. God wants personal interaction, not not some sort of institution. He wants personal interaction. He wants iron sharpening iron personally. God wants our love for one another to move out beyond this gathering this morning. I need to remember that. We need to remember that. God wants our love to move us into each other's lives. Now, that's scary because that means we might be exposed. We need to be exposed because we are people in need of God's mercy and grace. And the church is a gift of God's grace to us. And in the church, when we do this, we will magnify Christ who said that people would know him and know us by the love we have for one another in the church. That's what our communion should look like. It should be clothed with Christ-like love, Christ-like characteristics that make much of him and benefit the saints in this local assembly. I want to pray and then I want to talk to you about something else as soon as I pray, but let's let's first pray and give thanks to God for what he's doing here and what he's done by his grace. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing grace and how you place us in your church and how each saint here is placed alongside the other for the glory of Jesus' name as they put on these characteristics. God, I pray that that your name would be honored, your name would be glorified through the, the acts of the saints in our church. I pray that we would put on these spiritual clothes daily and find opportunity to interact with one another on a personal level here, Lord, as a church. I pray that we would be more intentional about expressing humility and patience toward one another by going to one another outside of the Sunday gatherings, the Wednesday gatherings. I pray that we would see Christ magnified through our personal interaction. I pray that the world would know that we belong to you. By the love we show practically here in our local church. Jesus, we ultimately, ultimately gather here this morning to give you praise. But we always benefit, always benefit by your word and your spirit as you wash us, as you expose us, as you then cleanse us and clothe us. We thank you for all these things, Jesus. And I pray, God, that we would we would live in light of these things every day As we leave this place, Lord, I pray that your love would never leave us, but would be magnified through us for the sake of Christ's name. Amen.